With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Friday episode of the show. Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, counting down the hours until South Carolina returns to Williams-Price Stadium for the first time this season. First time since South Carolina's beatdown of Tennessee, which is actually very hard to believe, but it is true. So I, I know lots of Gamecock fans happy to be back out there. And clearly from the fact you sold it out, even after the loss last week, even with an FCS opponent, Gamecock fans ready to show out. Chris, uh, night game, maybe some new little uh, odds and ends here at the stadium, new cocky entrance. I'm sure that Justin King and crew will have tweaked the light show a little bit as well. So I know lots of Gamecock fans, despite even with the result last week, excited to be back out there with about 80,000 of their closest friends. I'll go with uh, the the line that always gets passed around in Columbia West, undefeated tailgating experiences for South Carolina. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, knowing the folks over at Carolina Haven, where I post stuff a lot, uh, they sent out and they told me like a month ago, they were like, we have like two spots left and now they don't have any left. So there should, it should be a good crowd. Pretty cool that the first game was, despite not being like, you know, a marquee quote unquote matchup, still a night game. So that's really cool. Uh, that gives people time to go out there, tailgate, get get ready, so to speak, for the game. So exciting stuff. And as Shane Beamer mentioned, man, first time since that Tennessee game, that magical night in Williams Bryce Stadium, first time that Carolina fans get to return to Willie B. So it should be a fun night. We'll see what happens. Yeah, hard to believe that it has been that long. Uh but it has, and uh, so, yeah, it's going to be fun. Hopefully the weather holds off, and um, hopefully a good night for Gamecock fans and a good day of tailgating for Gamecock fans everywhere before we move forward into the game. Got to give a shout-out to our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you want to buy a home, if you're thinking about buying a home, whether it's first time, tenth time, whatever it may be, Clint is your guy. He can help walk you through that whole process especially if you're, if it's your first time and you're kind of trying to uh, walk through a, a process that can be a little bit difficult, a little bit daunting, uh, Clint will help walk you through every step of the way on the mortgage buying side, 803-771-6933. He's here in the Midlands but can help you out, I believe, if you're anywhere in the state of South Carolina and actually some of the border states as well. So check out Clint there. Uh, Chris, before we move any further, man, I, I went into this a little bit on the uh, radio show, but I thought maybe we'd take the chance to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to make Tommy Moody proud again. Um, history lesson, man. I've got, I guess. Oh, probably my. See that. Uh, that, that does look like Tommy Moody. Shout out. Oh, yeah. So, dude, first of all, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Furman fans in this state that 
are very excited about this game. I've noticed, like I, I've got some friends who are Furman fans or went to Furman, and um, they're going to the game too. They're all pumped. This is like a Super Bowl for them. 2014, last time this uh, this game was kind of renewed. Last time they played each other, 2010 before that, and then before that, 1982. So just the fourth time, strangely, that these two teams have not played. Uh, or fourth time these two teams have played since 1982. And before that, it was 1978. Before that, 1959. Well, if you go back, dude, when when I guess football was starting, like when college football started becoming a thing, these two teams used to play all the time. Very first game they ever played was in 1892, a 44 to nothing Furman victory. So up until the 50s, these two teams played a ton. And um, Ben weighing in saying Furman used to own us. Yes, up until <laughs> up until 1950, Furman owned a 19 and 15 record in this series. But I've never been much of a sports historian at all, Chris. But I, for for whatever reason, maybe I'm just getting old. It it was interesting to me to just go back and look at how different things are now than they were, you know, in the 19, 1900s up to 1950, where these two teams were like on equal footing, if not shifted towards Furman. Yeah, man. College football's changed a lot. Imagine traveling back to the leather helmet era and being like, Hey, in uh, 2023, there's going to be NIL and, uh, College athletes are going to be posting their offers to X and all these different things. I think it would probably blow some people's minds. Absolutely, Wes. So, yeah, I was telling you the other day, by the way, speaking of the last two Furman games, 2010, 2014, Kyle Jackson saying that he remembers the 2010 game, the Stefan Gilmore pick. See, for some reason, I remember that one more than the 2014 game. I had to, like, go back and remind myself the 2010 game – was tight. It was a little tight, a little ugly. 2014 game, Shaq Rowland had a touchdown catch early. Furman answered with a 60-yard touchdown run. Gamecocks were up 28-7 half, at halftime, though, and ultimately escaped with a 41-10 win. And, Wes, I think people – if you could repeat that, I think people would be happy with it. Doesn't it seem like we're either getting a, a 2010 version game or, 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 we, or we're going to get – the runaway game. I, I don't know if we get anything in between. I think we're going to get like South Carolina comes out, looks really good, gets the job done, or we're going to get that. Ooh, that was, that was a that little was bit too tight. Well, they'll take either one of those as opposed to the 1982 game, which <laughs> was a uh, 28 to 23 Furman victory. And dude, let, let's bring this forward though. You, you think conference realignment doesn't matter? Look look at this, and I'm not saying that was the only factor, but as someone who was obviously not around back then, maybe someone who was can tell us, but there's a very clear line here. Now, it was a little bit before South Carolina joined the ACC. They were, of course, an ACC member before they went independent and then ultimately joined the SEC. But again, like I said, man, 
if you draw a line between 1949 and 1950, Furman is 19 and 15 against South Carolina before that. South Carolina ended up joining the ACC in 1953. And uh, so, again, a little bit before that, though, 1950 to now, South Carolina 13 and 1 during that stretch. So, I mean, there, there was clearly something back then that vaulted South Carolina into where they are right now, where you're considered, you know, a power five team, you're in a power five conference, and um, you are expected to beat Furman if you play them. And so it, it could have it could have gone the opposite way. You know, South Carolina could have been yep. the school that, uh, you know, wasn't the FCS school. Like dating back to them, it was very, very even. And so um, obviously now – if Furman were to find a way to win on Saturday, that would be a lifetime memory, I feel like, if you're a Furman grad. Yeah, man, it, it would be. The, the, on, the only uh, bummer about the segment that you just produced for us is that Pete Limbo wasn't our guest on here for it. He could have given us some uh, historical context of what was going on in Europe in uh, 19 – what was that year, 1950, whatever. Mm-hmm. Shout out Dick Sheridan to God Loves Comics, pointing out Dick Sheridan. He was a beast at Furman for 74% of his games. Think, Didn't he in his last year, I think he came up like two points short of a national title or something like that at Furman. So he he did an outstanding job. But Furman, honestly, Wes, I'll, I'll come clean. Furman has actually kind of a special place in my heart because I grew up in Anderson, as you know, and we would take church groups – to their games on Saturdays very often when I was in my youth. So, man, those were a blast. I used to go up there, watch Furman play Georgia Southern when they were rolling. Um, Love going up to Furman. Really good times up there. Yeah, very proud program. I I won't steal his thunder, um, but I, I did actually talk to Tommy Moody while I was leaving the radio station yesterday. And, um, He's got a ton of uh, historical background for his show on 107.5 talking about Furman and um, how the, the first game that these two teams played, again, back in 1892, um, Furman had had a football team for, for a, not a while, but they had had a football team for years. South Carolina, as a school, did not have a football team yet. They literally threw together – a football team from on campus. They added two ringers, which basically um, that's nowadays, I guess that's like, I hear that term thrown around in my softball league, like two ringers. That's people that actually aren't on the team, but they just added, they weren't in school at all. South Carolina added two ringers to, and then they hopped on a train and went to Charleston to play this game in 1892 that, again, Furman won 44 to nothing. So, again, all credit to Tommy Moody for uh, for that historical background. But I, I did think it was pretty interesting. And Furman has had several coaches that went on to be coaches at the FBS level. Um, you had, uh, obviously, Bobby Johnson, Vanderbilt coach. Good one. Um, so, yeah, proud program. And to get it into this game, Chris – I just don't think these dudes are going to be too scared. Like, I think when you have veterans, when you have – I mean, I don't remember the stat. Beamer rolled it off like 
90% of their starters are back and they're mostly juniors and seniors. When you've played, when you've kind of been through the battles and, and Furman is a winning program at their level, I don't know that you're completely phased by the lights and the crowd and, and all those things. So if you're South Carolina, we talk all the time about starting fast. You kind of you kind of want to bury them and enforce your will early on and not let that confidence just grow on the Furman sideline. Yeah, as Josh says right here, very timely comment there, Josh. Appreciate you listening. We need to show we are an SEC program. And, and that's that's kind of exactly where my head has gone with this game, Wes. Um, you're right in that Furman, you know, Shane Beamer pointed out they, they went to Clemson last year. They, they played – they acquitted themselves well in that game. They did not win. They they didn't really come close to winning particularly. But they did a good job, right, in that game and, and certainly were not phased. Now, their home opener at Paladin Stadium last week, Wes, there were 9,000-something people there. The vast, vast majority of those were firming. I saw the zoom-out shot on ESPN Plus of the Tennessee Tech side. Um, I think there were more Irmo fans at the Irmo game I went to last week. Than Tennessee Tech fans, right? So, Furman, like you said, proud program. They'll they'll bring some fans too. By the way, I think at Williams Bryce. Point is, it's going to be a much bigger, louder environment. But I don't think Furman's guys are going to blink necessarily. This is a veteran team. They have a lot of juniors, seniors, grads, and guys that have played in in big games many times before. But it's up to South Carolina to impose their will. You know. Of course, there's differences in size, speed, skill, talent level between almost any FCS and FBS opponents, right? That's why there's been, I think, what did we go over, West the other day? Since 2013, there's been, I think, three FCS teams that have beaten SEC teams. South Carolina was one of those in 2015. It doesn't happen as often because oftentimes there is a pretty big gap. But if you're the Gamecocks, you've got to show that. And I think it starts with my number one key to the game, and that is imposing your will up front on the lines of scrimmage. We know that South Carolina's offensive line is going to be retooled in some form or fashion going into this game. There will be personnel tweaks. What what will those look like? We'll find out for sure tomorrow. But there will be some changes. That group has to get stabilized. They have to play a lot better. And then defensively, um, you got to get after it too. I, I remember Clayton White talking on Wednesday about, you know, not only the edge guys, but even their interior players that were expected to be one of the strengths of this team. Sometimes their technique was off, you know, during the North Carolina game. So you got to get those things cleaned up and you got to start it off on the lines of scrimmages. Uh, Furman, not a small team. Their right tackle, 6'7, 342, biggest player in Furman history, Fred Norman Jr. So they got some size. But you should be better on the lines of scrimmage, and you got to show it on Saturday. For sure, man. So Craig uh, weighing in, saying you can't be in second and nine. Um, yeah, first down efficiency. Anytime you have mistakes on, or, or you're not converting on third down, you can almost always dial that back to looking at what you did on first and second down. I feel like that was the case for South Carolina on last Saturday against North Carolina. There's been some talk, Chris, about. The, the red zone efficiency last week, you know, you had had chances down the stretch three times in the red zone, kicked a, one field goal basically. I, I, did, I didn't really 
perceive those as being red zone problems. I just felt like those are the same problems the offense had had for much of the night. They just happened to be in, in the red zone. You know, I, I think you have to you have to execute a little bit even more efficiently when you're in the red zone because you're going to get the best calls from your opponent. You're going to get the most aggressive calls from your opponent. And you're going to know that your opponent doesn't have to worry about the deep ball. So everything compresses. They're going to say, we don't care about putting the safety deep. We're going to stack everybody up into the box. It forces you to block a little bit better. It forces you to block an extra person a lot of times. And it just forces you to execute uh, you know, at a, at a much higher level. Well, the issues I saw in the red zone were just sort of, uh, you know, maybe it was even to a, a better de- or worse degree in the red zone. But for the most part, those are the same issues I felt like South Carolina had throughout the night. And it's going to be hard until until they can fix the issues at tackle. It's going to be hard to have a consistently good offense because it's going to be the same thing. They have some difference makers in Spencer Rattler, difference makers in Xavier Leggett, and then a help, you know, once you have a fully healthy Juice Wells, I still think Trey Knox and Josh Simon can be difference makers. But when you have difference makers, but not a consistent offensive line, I think you see what the result is. It's kind of that up and down, big play, explosive play, sack. Explosive play, explosive play, touchdown. Oh, we got momentum, starting a new drive. Uh, it's second and thirteen now. Like it's it's always going to be the fans are riding that offensive roller coaster until you can sort of minimize at least some of your mistakes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I remember Wes. It was it's kind kind of reminds me in a way some of those Steve Spurrier teams early in his tenure, right? That you would have just offensive line problems. Seem like there are a lot of penalties and false starts and a lot of sacks. Then you had, here's a ball to Sidney Rice, right? <laughs> and so you, you got that a lot. And so in in a search to be more consistent, which has been a huge goal of this team this year, you know, th- there were some areas that Shane Beamer really pinpointed. And they were, you know, the two areas mainly were take better care of the football, which they absolutely did. Huge credit to Spencer Rattler and run the football. They wanted to do a lot better in that area. Well, they they passed one of those tests game one. They didn't in in – another area, right? Because they took care of the football. They weren't able to run the football. And that really traces back to the offensive line. Uh, they weren't, they were getting behind the chains so often that it became more of a third game. They got down in the game. It became more of a third game. Um, they weren't opening up any holes when they were running the football, not with any consistency at all. So really everything that you can trace back in that game. I, and I still think Wes, the main reason South Carolina lost, like if you picked one reason, was the offensive line. So, again, that that is the biggest question. It, it's a question for this game immediately. Um, it doesn't have to be fully fixed. It doesn't have to be in its final form, the form that we'll see against Georgia or Mississippi State, for it to work enough to beat Furman. But it does have to work. This is a team that you're still going to have to play well against to beat. You're going to have to play a lot better up front than you did last week. Um, Furman's front isn't going to be as talented as North Carolina or Georgia or Mississippi State. It's not, uh, but they are experienced. They have guys that know how to play. They're well coached. They've got watching their first game West. They've got some linebacker run throughs, which caused South Carolina a good bit of problems against North Carolina. They've got some of those types of things that if you're not in the right places, 
if you're having mental bust, there's going to be some negative plays even against Furman. So it, it all, for me, starts up front. For sure, man. And I'll, I'll be curious to see what, you know, what changes we see. I, uh, you know, we've talked already about some of the possible experimentation, you know, guys getting different looks in practice this week. But I haven't really heard any feedback since then in terms of, hey, this is what it might look like. This is who, you know, they're going to go to. How did it actually look in practice and and all those things? So I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be one of those things where it is apparent, you know, right off the bat from the starting lineup of, hey, they've made wholesale changes, or is it going to be one of those things where it's a little bit more subtle and then as the game goes along, you see some different guys mixed in. We do know, obviously, there will be a different starting right tackle with Case and Henry being out, um, you know, at, at least for a while. Uh, you know, as far as that's concerned. So will that be Wanamaker? Will that be Ja'Kai Moore? Obviously, if it's Ja'Kai Moore, then that means you're going to have at least one more new starter um, on the line as well. So you'd have two of the five spots um, almost by default if they go with Ja'Kai Moore at tackle instead of Wanamaker. Uh, Wanamaker got several reps on, on Saturday. Really, they tried all their guys at tackle on Saturday that were playing tackle going into it except, of course, for um, Tree Babalade, who is the true freshman, who we could see make his debut this week. We will certainly see. Uh, let's hit on some injuries, man. Uh, Coleman asking, uh, what's the defensive back conversation with the injuries? Savannah asking, what is Marquis' injury? Um, Justin asking, will we see, oh, we need to be up big before Harbor gets reps. I'll answer that one first. I would say no. I mean, he was out there, Chris, against North Carolina early on. Um, you know, so I, I would imagine you're going to see his reps grow. Savannah also saying, why not try the freshman? I mean, yeah, why why not? Like, I, I think you will. I think we got to remember game one, you're, you're playing in a marquee matchup in an NFL stadium, primetime, ABC. Chris, I felt like they clearly did not want to throw the freshman straight into the fire unless they had to. Yeah, it, it definitely – I mean, Shane Beamer even mentioned that when it, when it comes to Pup Howard, right? Um, you're in a game where you lose Mo Caba early. Uh, you're without Bam Martin Scott. And so on the surface, you go, man, you're sitting there watching the game going, well, Debo Williams and Stone, are, are they haven't come off the field. And, and they didn't. Uh, but you got to remember, Pup, yeah, he's a freshman. He's very talented. Uh, he went through spring, summer, preseason, but he did miss some time in the preseason, right, with a blue jersey. He had to sit out a little bit and got back and, and is healthy now. But just in that setting, you feel like they wanted to ride with the guys um, that they felt the best about and, and not put them in that situation. I think we said this, Wes, going into the season, there were going to be some freshmen that played in game one, and then that figure was figured to grow as the season goes on. So – Pup Howard, he's going to play. Beamer's been on record. He's going to play. We'll probably see a couple offensive linemen. Nick Carver, I think, played, what, nine, ten snaps in the last game. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's a little bit more. Wes, we were going over it earlier. I mean, the amount of freshmen we expect to play in this game is is certainly in the double digits, right? I don't think there's any doubt about that. I would be surprised if if it – I want to say surprised, but I, I think we'll see – a good bit more 
of the freshman play than we saw last week. Michael asking about Harbor. Um, were most of his reps on special teams? No, actually, all um, – when we're talking about reps, we're, we're talking just offense. So he was out there, according to PFF, nine reps on offense. But, I mean, that's another situation. We've talked about it as far as Nick is concerned. He has not played a ton of wide receiver in his career. Couple that with the fact that he's been banged up. He, you know, and, and I'm not saying he specifically, anybody that was in that situation would need those reps as a true freshman in practice in order to be ready to play a ton in a game, I think. It's one thing if you're a veteran. It's one thing if you're Juice Wells, if you're a guy who's been through the SEC battles or Power 5 battles. You can miss some time, and even then, that's not ideal. But for a freshman, I think if you miss time, Pup Howard missed a ton of time on special teams in practice. And we know how detail-oriented South Carolina is as far as their special teams operation is in every single unit. So I think it makes sense. Now, if if we start getting into three game three, four, or five, and you're not seeing for certain freshmen, then, yeah, I think that's when you start to ask, all right, why is that guy not playing? What's happening? And sometimes the answer is, hey, you know, this guy isn't ready or he hasn't done this correctly. He's not doing what he needs to do in practice. It's going to be a decision for every single individual. I'll tell you what, Chris, I thought about this earlier today. This is complete speculation on my part. I'll tell you a guy I would kind of – I don't want to say I'd like to see that guy play because I hate when people are like, hey, play this guy. Um, we haven't been at practice, but I do wonder if we ultimately see a little bit more of Nick Elksness at times as well at tight end when you kind of look at some of the issues overall in the running game. Look at what Nate Atkins brought to the offense last year. When The more he played as the season went along, the better South Carolina was offensively. Elksness a little bit more of a blocking-oriented guy, a little bit more of an inline-type tight end, traditional tight end, whatever you want to call him. Bigger frame. I I wonder if that wouldn't be something to keep an eye on moving forward as well. It's a really good thought. Gotten a few questions about that, actually, Wes, on the Insiders Forum. Hey, will Nick Elksness get more involved? That That's an area. Speaking of the tight ends, Wes, I know we've been high on Trey Knox and Josh Simon, and uh, truth be told, I don't think they had – their best performance as blockers the other night either. And and really that was a whole team thing. That was offensive line. That was perimeter blocking, which is another one of my keys to the game, just playing better on the perimeter, but also the tight end. So yeah, getting Elksis more involved. Even Connor Cox West, he's on my list of freshmen that I really think we may see. He he got on the Monday depth chart, which again they they had not even gone through a, a proper, you know, week, game week practice, so to speak when that depth chart came out, but he was back on it. He he was not healthy enough to go in game one. And also, you know, another one of those true freshmen, but he's a guy that impressed the staff, did a really good job in summer workouts. He's more of a blocking type as well. So I, I have a feeling we might see Connor Cox on special teams and who knows, maybe, maybe some snaps at tight end as well. Yeah. Cox, a big dude. Um, Physically impressive for a true freshman. Comes from a family of athletes. I I kind of think he's one of the more underrated, maybe freshmen, um, on this team. If you look back at that commit list, bunch of guys that were highly recruited 
Connor, not really that highly recruited, but I, I think has a bright future at South Carolina. Um, let's get into the game itself a little bit more in terms of actual matchups. Um, Chris, you, you watched the game more than I did. I, I watched some highlights, uh, the, the Furman game I'm talking about from this past week. Their quarterback, though, man, this dude is is gutsy is the word I'll use. Not I, I don't want to say gutsy is one of those things where you're saying he's gutsy because he's not very good. Um, that's not the case at all. Um, he can hurt you with his feet. He can hurt you with his arm. One thing they really focused on this offseason was him trying to give plays a little bit more time to develop in the passing game. I was reading some offseason stuff from out of their program. They basically took away his running ability in practice. They're like, you're, you're not allowed to run. You're, uh, you have to stay in the pocket. And that was to try and let him. I think South Carolina did that with Doty um, going in two years ago. They said, we're, we're going to focus on passing game only. And um, so this, but obviously all that's going to be open to him on Saturday in Williams-Price Stadium. So yet another guy, I don't want to compare him to Drake May, but yet another quarterback that South Carolina will have to get a pass rush on but will also have to maintain their lane structure. You're not going to be able to just pin your ears back completely because this guy will hurt you with his legs if you let him. Yeah, similar numbers actually to Drake May, Wes, in terms of the, the rushing ability um, last season. I mean, it, it's kind of uncanny. May had 653 and seven touchdowns, and Tyler Huff, Furman's quarterback, was at about 694 and eight touchdowns. So, And obviously, look, I know different levels, et cetera. But the point is, a true dual-threat quarterback, he can hurt you with his feet, whether it's design stuff, whether it's escaping. Numerous times that he bought time against East – or uh, not East Tennessee State, Tennessee Tech as well. So, And, Wes, to go along with your your tough – what was the word you used? Oh, I don't even know. Gosh, you don't even remember your word, yeah. But uh, it wasn't scrappy. No, scrappy is too negative. That is everybody. Chat, what did I just say? I don't, I don't plan this stuff. I just say what comes to my mind. <laughs> just say what uh, comes to your mind. Yeah, whatever gutsy, word you use. Gutsy. gutsy. There you go. Yes. So to go along with that theme, Tyler Huff, Furman's quarterback, a commissioned second lieutenant in the United States Army Reserve. So tough dude. Um, co- cool little side story there. So yeah, I mean he he's and the running backs good. They've got as I mentioned, West size on the offensive line. So. It's a guy you got to be careful with. It's it's it seems like most FCS teams you play, they have that one guy, you know, where you're just going that that's the guy, right? Remember the Citadel? It was their fullback, um, or, or their running back. That guy. I mean, he just destroyed South Carolina. Everybody's got one, right? And I think Tyler Huff is that player for Furman. You, you've got to make sure that you bottle him up, and that goes back to. Exactly what I said to start the show, Wes. Dominating the lines of scrimmage, that's going to include exactly what you said, and that is gap integrity, staying in your lane. Let the other guy make a play if it means staying in your gap and, and keeping that integrity because this guy can can squirt out of the line and, and get some yards on you. Yeah, Tyler Renew, the fullback. There you go. Good pull. Good pull. Um, that was a Tyler, tough one. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows who I am. But he actually, he's one of the fill-in coaches at base camp in Columbia, where I go work out. And every time I see him, I'm like, man, that guy <laughs> smashed 
South Carolina that day. Mm. Uh, I think he was a – no, I don't, I don't want to say that. I, he was from Columbia. I don't remember what high school, so I don't want to say it. But he was – he's definitely I want to from say Columbia. he was Ben Lippin. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say too. I think you're right. Yeah, he was Ben Lippin. I just looked it up made sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There you go. Columbia guy, I'm sure that had to be incredible oh, moment for him. But, yeah, every time I see him at the gym, I'm like, yeah, you – you had a moment you'll tell your grandkids about um, at, at Williams Price, but anyway, all right, we're bringing up terrible memories for Gamecock fans. <laughs> let's let's throw in a little break here, man. Let's uh, let's talk about um, our friends at Liberty Tax. What do you say, Chris? Let's do it. Love the guys at Liberty Tax. Larry does an outstanding job. Two locations. Both on St. Andrews Road, 803-462-5576. You can overcome your tax ID if you're watching the stream. You see that pencil. It's all chewed up. It could be a pen. It could be anything. It could be you throwing your computer at the wall because you have so much tax ID. You don't want to be there. I'm not there. I met with Larry, my wife and I. He put together a great plan for us well in advance of next year so that we have absolutely no tax ID. Make sure you head it off. Super experienced, super knowledgeable, very responsive, was blown away by the customer service and also his knowledge. So let him do a great job for you, just like he's doing for us at Liberty Tax. Appreciate you, Larry. Um, Can't say enough good things about them. Everybody's got to do their taxes. So uh, might as well call up Larry and and let somebody who does a great job do them for you. 803-462-5576. we're, we're going to do our scores, our predictions here in a second. Um, trying to think, is there any, is there anything else about the game itself? Any keys to this game for you, Chris? I know you're breaking down the keys. Peace will roll later on. But let's reward the people who have stuck with us for 33 yeah. minutes and 51 seconds. Give us a couple of your keys so far. Yeah, so I, I think I previewed both of them. Number one. Got to win the line of scrimmage, right? And you, and you could say that for any game. I think it's kind of like the run the ball, stop the run type of thing. But especially in this game with what we saw week one and the disparity that exists between FCS and FBS teams, that's an area where you've got to leave no doubt. You don't need to exit the game saying South Carolina just didn't play well enough on the lines of scrimmage, even in a win. You need to leave no doubt about that area. And secondly, Wes, uh, one of my keys I will leave in the piece, but another key is one that I alluded to earlier, perimeter play. And by that, I mean the blocking. I did not feel like South Carolina did a very good job blocking some of the quick game, some of the screens that were called to receivers uh, last Saturday against North Carolina. So the blocking effort needs to be better. And I'll also include in that just one-on-one plays, right? You get your – get the backs, you get the receivers, they get the tight ends out in space. We saw iterations of all those types of plays. You got to not only block it well, but there's going to come some times where South Carolina just, they need to make some one-on-one plays against Furman to make a guy miss in the open field, spring some big plays, turn a, turn a three-yard gain or a zero-yard gain into a, into a four- to seven-yard gain, something like that. Perimeter play is, is another key in this game to me. Yeah, man, I mean, I'm not saying that um, they couldn't have maybe done a little bit more of it and there maybe were other things they could do, maybe roll in the pocket a little bit more. But 
I, I do. You always see that thing when you have issues with a pass rush where people say run draws, run screens, uh, quick passes. I, I feel like our brains don't even process. They don't remember the screens that don't hit. And Ca- Carolina called, you know, they called some, there are different variations to screens, right? Like there's all different ways you can draw it up. But they called several quick passes to the outside, quick passes to running backs. Some of those are more just like it's a swing pass. Is it? It's not like a traditional screen, what you would call that a screen. Um, they did maybe, I think they ran one or two of those that kind of just got blown up that you would call a more traditional running back screen. Some of those were called and, and they didn't work. Other times, you know, they, they had one big uh, short throw to Juju that was set up very well. Um, it was it was like a swing pass, but it was set up to where the receiver was like rubbing, uh, you know, doing a rub route basically to, to – to, he didn't run into him on purpose, but he did type that, that set up a, one of the, the touchdowns in the game, actually set up Juju's one-yard run for a touchdown. So they did call some of that. Could you argue, you know, maybe call it more? You know, maybe so, but ultimately, if you don't block on the perimeter and then you're struggling to block inside, you know, on your actual offensive line, you kind of run out of options at some point. Like, there's no – there's only so much scheming and play calling you can do. There's got to be a certain level of execution to an extent of blocking. Like, it's not going to just magically fix itself because you called a few screenplays, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I mean. At the end of the day, it's a results-based thing. Um, But you're exactly right. I mean, it's tough. Given what we saw, It's you'd be hard-pressed to go through and say, well, if they would have only done this, it would have worked out. What we saw on Saturday night, you have a hard time finding any answers. Now, now maybe there were some in there. Uh, but I, I really can't see it, Wes. I think that, that – and that's why the conversation has really been dominated uh, by the offensive line talk and, and fixing the fixing the tackle situation and getting that thing stabilized. That's what they've got to do, and they got to start it this Saturday night. Yeah, certainly, man. Um, we're running out of time. we got to get out of here a little bit earlier than normal today. But uh, we got to give our predictions. Chris, um, I know we both have South Carolina winning the game. We both actually just about every single one of our staff members has a fairly similar score, fairly similar come. Long week, y'all. What do you have, Chris? <laughs> I've got 37 to 17 South Carolina. Um, I think a, a key West is don't let this one get into the fourth quarter in doubt. And I do think South Carolina is going to pass this test. I think they'll be up at halftime. I think they'll pull away a little bit more. So a 20 point win, 37 to 17. Yeah, I've got um, South Carolina winning 35 14. I actually think they were, you know, and it's going to be one of those things, man, where it could go either way. But I thought there were a few more positive signs about the defense than maybe my initial watching it in person. Um, initial instinct was. I I thought linebacker play was pretty good. I think defensive line play was fixable. And, um, you know, I I thought Jalen Kilgore filled in phenomenally as a freshman and will only get better. I want to see 
Can a Judge Collier come along? Can a Vakari Swain come along? Can you get them some reps this week? We'll see. I think that nickel spot, obviously, um, you know, North Carolina attacked it a little bit. So we'll see how that looks moving forward. Keenan Nelson, still a guy who's not played a ton of ball at the college level. So learning experience for him. I'm not ready to give up on anybody. I think the defense um, has a chance to be a little bit better than the perception is right now. And uh, maybe they'll start um, with, with a really nice performance against a really solid veteran Furman team Saturday at williams Price. So we both have them winning, you know, right around that 20 mark. Um, hopefully the rain holds off, man. Hopefully uh, Gamecock fans have a, a great Saturday at williams Price Stadium. And uh, we'll both be out there, too. So if they see us, they can come say what's up. Come say hey to us. Absolutely. Hope everybody has a great weekend and a great time at the game. No doubt. All right. For Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate y'all as always. Check out all of our content coming forward on GamecockCentral.com. We'll see y'all on Monday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.